Welcome to Old Town New World, our podcast here in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza. My name's Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town USA. No, okay. y'all have ever noticed that Chris Gervais rhymes with USA, <laughs> but it does. Um, today we're going to talk about um, cycles and uh, reactions against cycles and, and how things evolve. You know, we we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about uh, urban revitalization and we talk about it in contrast to, you know, the kind of 30 years prior or, or more, 60 years prior of uh, moving away from the urban centers of our town and moving out to suburbia and compartmentalizing our, our culture and now we're moving back to an integrated version but we see this type of cyclical behavior this type of reacting against the cycle before you um, in so many ways I mean I know Chris you're a you and Micah here being filmmakers I'm sure you see that in the film industry as well yeah definitely um film music whatever it everything seems to work in this cycle of whatever's going on right now the thing that comes along that's the next like massive sort of game changer is doing the opposite of whatever's going on you know I mean it was like all hair metal and prissy LA like you know glam rock in the late 80s and early 90s and that's why we have Kurt Cobain right and it's he like he was the anti-rock star because we had the definition of a rock star being like David Lee Roth exactly and it's like I mean who knows how massively huge Nirvana would have been if not for that environment that they came into to be the opposite of. Yeah. It's like if you go back to the Great Depression and all the people that, you know, were, well, had the luxury to sort of hold on and sort of buy, it, buy up everything and own everything while everything was worthless, those are the ones that, you know, were the great creators of the century, I guess. And like, that, that's, that's why it's true, I guess, in general, whatever's going on, it's like, you know, you know, another thing component to that is I was once told, you know, as a, as at the time I was told as a musician, to never chase what was cool or hot at the moment because it was an impossibility that you'd be successful at it because the time frame of like whenever you eventually get to a position where you have the opportunity to be, exp you know, exposure to what you're doing, that trend is dead. Right. And uh, so it's always about predicting where things are going, and, and which is the most widely informed by where things are. And, and what, what's bad about where things are. And it's music, movies, everything. everything. What doesn't work about what's going on right now, and that's gonna inform what comes next. And it seems like, you know, you have the what comes next is usually half, you know, one part original, one part two cycles ago. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's like you go back a couple cycles and grab something cool from there, and then you mix it with something new and original, and that is usually the next thing, you know? Right, because, you know, it's like, now this is a little easily, more easily applied to creative industry kind of stuff, but it's like the core things that we all care about don't ever really change. And now this is a little harder to apply to, to sort of small businesses and small towns and stuff, and a lot easier to apply to music, but it's like the core things never change, and it's all those little ornamental things that, that are sort of the surface things that, that jump from this side of the spectrum to the other. You know, but the, the core things, like if it's music, you know, the core things are it's just about, it's songs about whatever like the human experience and life yeah. and stuff you know it's like uh we were talking recently about it's like country music is dominated right now by like party songs about hanging out on the back of your truck 
and every single song is about the same, aw shucks, I'm from a small town, I party hardy, and then all the pop music is about the same thing, party every single song, yeah, it's like it how, pops out partying. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and it's like excess, and everyone's rich, and blah blah blah, and so that's why the, currently this huge hit is this Lord song, Royals, which is about the opposite of that, Yeah, and it's about being human, and about, it's funny because it says, directly, this song directly says, sort of points out how ridiculous it is that everyone listens to these songs all the time that just aren't, that have nothing to do with them. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, it seems if you turn on the radio, like, okay, if you're an alien from another planet and you turn on the radio, you're like, oh, human beings are incredibly wealthy and, like, they right, constantly yeah. do drugs yeah. and, and have casual sex. And it, it turns out most humans aren't like that. Right. And wait, we're wait, just what? people. <laughs> what? <laughs> Big shock. Um, I don't think most people live like Miley Cyrus, you know? They're just normal people and they... And, uh, and, but the thing is, and that's why that kind of music appeals to them, but it's only going to be so long before they want to hear, you know, a familiar voice, yeah. which speaks to them on their personal, which I know you and me both coming from like playing punk rock music, that's how that was, you know, as yeah. soon as I heard music that spoke to me on a personal level, that was the route I wanted to take, you know. And you know, a lot of that has to do with authenticity because it's funny, I was just this weekend, uh, Dixie and I, my, you know, my wife Dixie, we were listening to, we were watching, um, the guy from Bright Eyes, what's his name, Connor? Connor Rober. Yeah, um, on uh, Austin City Limits. And the first song, um, we watched on YouTube, the first song he comes out and he plays that song by himself. Uh, excuse me, he plays a song called Lua. It's a beautiful song, but it's about debauchery. But there's this, there's this sensibility about it. It's so human, it's so good. And, I, and I, it's this whole thing about we're partying it late and I'm the kind of lone guy that's going to split in the morning. It's all these cliche kind of ideas, yet it's so honest and real and beautiful in some way. So even though it has the same, some of the same themes, a lot of what's out there, eventually the, the people that imitate lack the original authenticity and it becomes all this just plastic. And yeah. that's when it's opportune for the next person with the authentic thing that sounds opposite of all right. that to break through. You know? Right. And that's true about everything we do uh, as a society. I mean, like, memes on the internet and stuff, you know? It's like, okay, case in point, it's, it's in terms of, like, dilution and where things go and why you eventually reach this point where it's like something comes in and devastates it because it's been diluted to such a great extent. Okay, if you, I mean, if you look at even, you know, just, like, memes on the internet and jokes and stuff, it's like... It's really, really funny you know, the first time we see it, and then it gets regurgitated, and it gets turned into something else that has nothing to do with the first thing, and it's this, I don't know, we definitely, humans definitely have this hive, especially with pop culture, we have this hive mind that seems to take things and sort of digest it and, and do something kind of strange, and it's like, everything goes to this kind of weird place, right, before it gets really good again, you know, I mean, it's, and it is, it's, it's funny, it's natural to sort of like, I know like, Growing up, it's like you have the sort of hipster cool kids that reject everything that's very popular. Um, and then you have the people that just get into everything that's mainstream, you know. But the truth is, I mean, we're all part of the same sort of collective consciousness about about everything that, that goes through our culture. And, and, and no matter what you're doing, it, your ideas and the things you're interested in are little collections of other things that are already going on. And Well, you know, <clears throat> you talked about how you, you saw this in creative arts and, and and endeavor, but you you don't know how well it parallels with um, small business and um, small towns. But the idea that, that you know 
the things that, um, that are most important always remain, but then there's these iterations and cycles and stuff. Well, I would say that um, if you look at the way people interact in a community, so small towns, let's say, <coughs> that, excuse me, that we see the same type of behavior. I mean, the things that we hold dear, like share uh, freedom, um, safety, um, inter you know, social behavior, um, you know, uh, excelling in your environment, like all these things that we see as perceive as being successful ways to live, those themes hold true, and then we reinterpret what those things mean. So, um, like if we want to create a um, walkable neighborhood, let's say, people like to walk around and talk to their neighbors and things like that. You know, not everybody, but. In general, our ideal would be that you, you live among friendly people. We live in a type of village, right? Well, the suburban interpretation of that is let's go out and build ourselves a nice, safe village that our kids can ride their bikes around and we can walk around and we can have a safe environment versus being in this crazy, mixed-up world of the, you know... So, so and then now we're reinterpreting that. Um, it seems like it's the exact opposite as we bail on suburbia and move back into urban environments. But we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to find a compelling village to be a part of. And so we, there's still a core theme under that, this human in nature being part of a village. Mm -hmm. But there's this kind of like cycles that we react against before us. And, and I would say that, so not only do we see that behavior in everything, but I think that there's another thing that happens too. Yes, there's tight cycles, like whether it's you know music cycles every seems like now several years that we're cycling. But things like maybe you know moving back to urban environments, maybe cycling on a 60-year you know thing. But there's other things too. There's certain things that happen that are fundamentally ground-shaking that aren't part of a cycle, and potentially you never go back beyond behind. For example, you look at art. You know, we were talking about art. Um, if you look at something like World War One and the beginning of the 1900s where you had a fundamental shift away from any type of realism or traditionalism, even though you had the rebirth of realism later on as kind of a, yeah, I'm conscious that everybody's doing Picasso stuff and I'm going to make it look real, that's a little bit of a cycle. But, but you never go back to where, like, a, a urinal is shocking. That'll never be shocking again. You know what I mean? Like when the guy Duchamp put a urinal up in, the, in Paris in a, in a you know, uh, gallery, and everybody was like, "Oh my God!" You know? right, right, or when right. people rioted because a riot of spring yeah. happened, you know. Yeah, I don't. I I actually would challenge that slightly. I think that um, I think people are capable, maybe not always in, in in wide human cycles and stuff, but there's so many things that go on that seem sort of shocking and and, uh, and morbid and and uh, taboo now that felt exactly that same way 60 years ago now and I mean you know I mean there are we 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 definitely have the capacity to, to shock yeah to shock and to find perspectives to where things change and stuff and that's but I think it's I mean I mean obviously there are things that don't apply to that but in general I do think that humans at large like I said the core things that are important about us don't ever change right, yeah. and everything else around that we have an amazing ability <laughs> to do just very mind-numbing and I mean sometimes good sometimes bad yeah. you know we, we we have the capacity to create create any reality as yeah. humans and we do and it always it's funny how it seems like so whatever we decide on is the reality and these things that matter they seem so concrete yeah right. at the moment 
that are never, you know, I mean, look at so many weird, you know, it's like uh, so many just general cultural things that, like, if you take the average upstanding moral person from 1920 and compare them to that same upstanding moral person now, they have nothing in common. They have very few things in common. And the only things they're going to have in common are those core kind of things that matter, you know? I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's like, and there's a lot of controversy now because there's this movie Saving Mr. Banks, which is out about Walt Disney, and there's a lot of people that are like, oh, well, why aren't they talking about the fact that Walt Disney was, you know, anti-union and blah, 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 and, and it's all these things, well, A, that's not appropriate to that movie, and B, it's, you know, it, it, Walt Disney was born at the turn of the century, you know, and if you, you, hand, you show me any celebrity or figure that was born at the turn of the century, I bet they're going to have all these t antiquated notions and ideas about culture. Right. Even and, if they're genius and forward-thinking in other ways, yeah. they're going to have, yeah. They're just certain they're a product of their time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and so... No, I agree with that. I, I guess the, the overarching thing I keep going back to and thinking and having to do with my comment for this is, I mean, look at big things like the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, you know, the world wars, um, that though we might cycle, there's certain, I think that there's certain, like, earth-shattering fundamental shifts they're like evolutional shifts that we will then continue to cycle yeah. but it's what we never cycle back to before no, the true. industrial yeah. revolution right you know I, mean? yeah. I don't think we can yeah. no i don't think we can yeah yeah but at the same time you know i think that and be it in creativity or whatever your your business there the one thing we've talked about this before the one big distinguishing factor thank you um that, that it sort of guarantees success on some level is for people that have an impassioned perspective on something. You know, take take movies. Um, Quentin Tarantino was super into sort of drugs and guns movies from the 70s and, kung, and you know, and kung fu movies from the 70s and stuff. If, if it hadn't been for Quentin Tarantino, would we have had this massive wave of indie filmmakers that were into all that stuff? I seriously doubt it. And I do very much believe in the zeitgeist and I believe in it in a collective sort of spirit of the age. But I think it, it was Quentin Tarantino for decades, independent filmmakers, and a, a large chunk of pop culture will be into the things that one man was into because he was about, just so into them. Well, how, how much, though, is he potentially Kurt Cobain? And I say that, ask that question because I don't know about film, but I do know about music in that sense that Kurt Cobain didn't invent something that other... Right. He, he rose up from a whole group of people that had been doing that for a while yeah. and brought it to the main stage where other people said, oh my God, I didn't even know that was going on. Right. And that's what I rejected when I was young because I was like, dude, we've been doing that forever. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you show up and, and everybody thinks you invented it. So to what extent, you educate me on that, to what extent did Quentin Tarantino represent something awesome that was going on in a subculture way? Or what extent did he just damn... Right. Show up now, this is going to expose... We might get some hate mail here. Because this is going to expose my... Look, both of our listeners are okay with that. Okay. I mean, I love Kurt Cobain, you know, but I think that's an example of someone who... A lot of Kurt Cobain was being in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. And now maybe this is just, just... This is also a litmus test that I'm more of a film fan than a music fan. Right. But um, I think that Quentin Tarantino was gifted to such an extent that he... he willed our human reality into. I mean, I think he, that guy's just that damn good. Yeah. That he, I believe that about Quentin Tarantino. I don't necessarily believe that about Kurt Cobain. But, but you know, I don't know the exact quote about how much of, you know, success is about 
luck or whatever opportunity. Right. I'm sure there's some quote from Benjamin Franklin. You did well. It you, goes like you this. It. Yeah, it goes like this. It goes in conclusion. It goes in conclusion. <laughs> Technology <laughs> and luck are yeah. a bird, are a turkey. But I think there are people out there who, who find success through luck, and I think that there are people who are, or are who just make it happen. And, but both, both, either way, if you're not impassioned about the thing you're doing, I don't, I just don't think you're going to be successful. I don't, yeah. I don't think it, it can happen. And like I said, that's true for creativity. It's true for business. And I, we've said that yeah. before. Well, you know what though? It's interesting. It, it comes down to also what how you define success. I mean, you know, you could be passionate, just passionate about making money, and you could just, you know, ride true. on the coattails of, of geniuses and create a bunch of plastic songs right. and, and make a bunch of money and be very successful because you define success right. as just making money. Which is the same thing as people who are impassioned to make money in business and don't actually, they just want to find the quickest route to big yeah. money and they don't care about what's getting made or whatever and it's not, that's not, there's there's arguments to the fact that that's sort of morally reprehensible and there's as many arguments as there are that why, you yeah. know, what's yeah. the difference, you know, I mean like a goal is a goal and, and uh, putting energy into something is putting energy into something yeah you know? yeah but the, um but yeah like I think it's and you know we started this talking about cycles and trends and and I guess what it comes down to is is be it business or or whatever you know or, or creating a, a so town what's the be it business I'm not familiar be with it this business, the be it business it's all about being it <laughs> it's all about yeah be it yeah. by Chris Gervais the be it business <laughs> Um, out on paperback <laughs> but um no matter what you're but talking I'm, about it's about you know i mean there are people out there are always going to be people people out there who are trying to cash in on whatever's going on right now there are always going to be people who are predicting what's coming next which is obviously smarter than the former um but then there are the people who are constantly asking why things are the way they are how they work how can they be better? And I think that no matter where the cycle is, no matter what's going on, the people who are able to pick things apart and find the core mechanics of what's going, no matter what it is, that's the only sort of safety thing that you know is always gonna work, even if it doesn't look like it's going to work. If you can, we're human, and we, all, we do always repeat the same things. Well, I think, you know, when I talk to uh, communities about revitalization, I come back to this theme that you're talking about, that there's core things about people you know, it's all about people. I mean, cities are um, manifestations of the human experience. I mean, they're just a way for us to be together and function together. Um, and that, you know, comes down to economics and social um, desire and individual desire and, you know, all that stuff, right? So if you look at a city and you, and you, you, you create your plans around real estate or you create your plans around businesses or you create your plans around jobs and all this stuff, even though those things are connected to people, you're kind of not starting at the core. You have to start with people and, you know, and those core desires. I mean, Shakespeare will never go out of style because of what you're talking about. I mean, you know, there's the core kind of needs of the, of the person and, you know, I always say, well, let's start with how people will physically move around and interact with each other. You know, how will they walk from point A to point B and during that trip, in what ways will they interact with other people or find space and energy to um, have some meaningful alone time? Right. You know, how is it meaningful for people, you know? Exactly. You have, like, Joseph Campbell, who I don't know what year Joseph Campbell died. The suit guy? The suit guy, yes, from uh, the men's 
warehouse. warehouse. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, the writer uh, Joseph Campbell wrote a book uh, about the monomyth, and he sort of he took all hero-based storytelling, which in some manner of speaking is all storytelling, and um, he found the core elements of, of what made it work. And he you know he ends up on cracking cracking open like religion and, and everything about how humans perceive life, you know, and, and I think that I can't imagine there will ever come a time when people don't talk about Joseph Campbell's monomyth, you know, in movies and books and whatever, you know, because, and the reason is because he found the core mechanics of what made that craft work. And so his, his name's always going to be valid, and his book will always be valid for that reason. Because those core mechanics will always be valid. Right, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's hard to say, you know, you can't, it's hard to say there's abs- a bunch of, for me, it's hard to say there's a bunch of absolutes that drive everything. But there, to me, there are underlying principles, there are core things, and I think language is an imperfect art. So any way that we try to explain those core things, we're going to be making stuff up as we go, and oh, we're going to be imperfect yeah. in that. But I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, as long as you're focusing on the way people think and move and interact, that's where you always start. You have to start. That's where every story starts. That's where every city starts. That's where every piece of art starts. You know. Right. Yeah. It's in familiar familiarity and those universal human things. Yeah. That's that's where everything. That's where everyone. That's how you earn. That's how you earn people. I guess. That's how you earn everyone's involvement and buy-in. Is the great universal human elements. Well, when I was at Goddard, um, there was a faction of folks that I got introduced to I wasn't aware of before. It's a kind of a uh, literary thinking group that thought that the idea of any time you use the word universal, that you were basically being, um, I don't know, I guess racist almost, or uh-huh. um, that it was it was like this, and I'm exaggerating, but it was like this white man's fallacy that um, there were universals based on you know European principles of thinking. Yeah, yeah, like flesh-colored band-aids. Yeah, like yeah. flesh-colored band-aids, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, excellent example. Yeah. Um, so, but I, um, though I was sen- sensitive to what that means and, and, and the flesh-colored band-aid phenomenon, I mean, I still thought, you know, I'm not an absolutist by any stretch. I mean, I'm a definitely everything's relative kind of guy, but I still think that uh, fundamentals and in, in, even in operating are what allows us all to be in the same uh, on the same page enough to even understand what what we're all talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like a language, for example. A language is, you know, completely made up. It's it's our weak attempt to try to tap into whatever we're trying to say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's all we have. It's our like it's our assumption base yeah and so you have to have some starting place some playing field you know right. or you don't you can't go anywhere well that. yeah I mean like it's it's you know it's it's <laughs> universal to say that uh, human beings I mean I, I, I might be getting overly analytical and over nerdy here or whatever but I it's like it's too late for that no, I know it's ahead, a bit dude. late but it's like the Sun okay it's like the Sun is is a true thing and if you see the Sun from the top of a mountain and you know Alaska, or you see the sun from a beach on the other side of the globe, you're still looking at the sun. Right. And it's like, 
it may mean different things to different people. It may, it's, it's different perspectives, but it, we're all, the things that we are all, there are there do exist things that we are all looking at, yeah. like the sun. And I think there's things that you can't physically touch that kind of function in the same way. There are things, there are something there. Right, the variable is the perspective. Yes. But there are these And core, the tools by which we communicate that perspective, exactly. being language. Exactly, yeah. but it is. Or media. Right, exactly, but if you are concentrating on that one center thing, and then that, that, that's where the valuable stuff is, I suppose, is what I'm saying. In your center thing. In your center thing. If you, if you look inside your center thing, you'll all find a prize. Um, we, number 38 is the winner. B38. <laughs> 38 gets a new Dodge Stratus, or I'm sorry, a 1997 Dodge Stratus from Rev and Flow Web Marketing. Okay, so, you know, I really don't know where we're landing on this. I mean, you know, we're talking about um, how things move in cycles. We're talking about how there's always fundamental consistencies underlying these things, and what those fundamental consistencies are come down to what it's about to be human. You know, we do a lot of talking about revitalizing urban spaces, and it's not because we're real estate investors. It's because we're human. You know, we want to be in a village with other people, and we want to learn and share and create. And those, those cycles of creativity happen when we're able to interact in, in villages. And I think that um, you know, we're able to sit here at Millstone Pizza and explore these ideas because we're here in the village doing so. You know, I think that's one of the, the great values of not compartmentalizing your society where when you leave work, you drive out, out to uh, the place that's not work because then you're disconnected from the potential to, um, to do this type of, uh, of iterative process in all of your life, you know. And I mean, I, you know, I go on here, but I, I personally don't live in a village right now. I live in a neighborhood out in New York, and I'm okay with that because I go out and, and we live in a great neighborhood and spend time with my family, but I love the time I spend here in the village because I'm either working or I'm playing or I'm interacting, but I'm iterating constantly. And in, in cyclical ways, you know. So I think that really the core of, of the message today is that we really have no idea what we're talking about. And um, we hope that you'll come back next week and hear us talk about something else that we really don't know anything about either. And uh, other than that, Chris, you want to close on anything? Congratulations for choosing Old Town New World Podcast. All right. We are so happy that we were able to take you through this journey. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Bye.